You're not here to poo-poo two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I'll never poo-poo two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. Um, Maybe if you ate a million, you would poo-poo two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Because you, I think you absorb the seven. You would digest. You you would receive nutrients out of the three quarters of a mil. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Hi, everybody. This is Stephen. I'm now uh, back home in Cincinnati, but uh, today's episode is going to be from the road in Texas. And if you are somebody who experiences audio consternation at what you sometimes hear, and you think to yourself, guys, I appreciate the audio, but it doesn't always sound wonderful, and maybe it's not worth it. Well, that's up for you to decide, but I'm giving you fair warning. We are on the road. There's road noise and car noise. We're just talking in the cabin of the car. I think the content is worthwhile. I mean, I mean, I think it's pretty worthwhile, but you might not think so. So I'm just giving you fair warning. It sounds like we're riding in a car. So here we go. Here's me and Mark driving through Texas. Well, let me set this cruise control so we can record an episode of the Abraham's Wallet podcast. As Mark. We, as we rumble through West Texas. We are rambling down I-20 West, headed towards the dusty prairies of Midland, Texas. We just, we just, like I said to you before we started recording, rolled through the town of my father's father and his father before him, which is San Angelo, Texas. And I think there's, San Angelo is ripe to become the next Waco. You know, a spot where somebody just drops in and Built Disneyland for HGTV aficionados. Yeah. Do, do we want to talk about the fact, the, the things we saw? Yeah, I think people would probably might be interested in everything that we've done in Texas. Let's let's spend five minutes on a recap. All right. Let's. Uh, I came in. I drove into Texas a couple of weeks ago with my youngsters. Uh, drove out here in, in the old Toyota, visited, on the way out, visited the incredible Mammoth Cave, which is in uh, Kentucky, and then uh, spent the weekend in and around Houston. Notable things that happened there would include touring the Bluebell Creamery. Where they make bluebell oh, ice cream. It's the best ice cream in the world. I'm going to tell you. You don't have to put up with the Ben & Jerry's shenanigans. You can enjoy good ice cream made by good people. Yep. From Aggies. Central Texas. Aggies. And we spent a day on the family land. Shooting guns and riding uh, four-wheelers. We went down to Galveston, Texas. Which is... Uh, I don't know. It's the beach. It's, it's Houston's beach, and uh, it has improved a lot since I was a kid. I was, oh, cool! I was pleased with Galveston. That's where I got my first jellyfish sting. It's the same. 
And when I was a kid, when you came out of Galveston waters, there was a fairly good chance you would have a blob of petroleum somewhere on your body. And that was not, that was not the case this time. It was a nice, nice scene there. Then, uh, me and my uh, kids drove up to Fort Worth, where we went to the rodeo. Wow. It was fantastic. I love the Fort Worth rodeo. If you're ever coming through DFW, and you can get an overnight on a Friday or Saturday night, every Friday and Saturday night, there's a rodeo. The whole year? Yes, in Fort Worth, at the Fort Worth Stockyards, which are... An important tourist destination in their own right. Yeah. Independent of the wonderful rodeo. Okay, so uh, we did the rodeo. The following day, we and you parrots, we took our kids out into East Texas for summer camp and dropped them off. That's where our kids are now. And then since we took them to summer camp, uh, you and I have been uh, visiting with either clients or Abraham's Wallet listeners. Podcast fans, clients, and some prospective clients slash just people that somebody said, hey, I bet you guys could help these people in some way or another. Or prospective listeners. Yeah, I bet that we might have converted some people to listeners who will never give us any money. Yeah, that's true. That's okay. I also We've also worked in some pickleball. We yep. worked in some golf. You and I were a pretty slick pickleball team there for a hot minute. We've worked in some barbecue. Oh. We had... Uh, you want to talk about your barbecue experience? Yeah, we've talked a lot about barbecue in recent weeks, but... I was a little skeptical, and I'll just say, hard eight barbecue pit was no joke, not disappointing. And they they took brisket to perfection, and I spent way too much money because they just keep loading your plate until you say stop, and then they weigh everything. It's beautiful, and it smells good, and you want to eat it. Yeah, and. You enjoyed your barbecue with a nice frozen blackberry margarita with sugar encrusting around the edges. <laughs> it embarrassed you a lot more than it embarrassed me. Well, I just, when I had to belly up to the bar and say I'll have a Lone Star beer and one of them blackberry sugar margaritas, Yeah. she gave me a little bit of a look like, this month is for you. Specialties. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, as we're traveling through Texas, uh, we're trying to catch up with our people. Uh, we're definitely neglecting uh, phone calls, text messages, and emails. I'm very behind on those things. But we are trying to catch up with actual FaceTime with actual people. So... Um, it might be apropos that today we'd spend a few minutes um, doing a mailbag. How about a mailbag? Play the mailbag music. Every day I write the book. Every day, every day, every day I write the book. Every day, every day, every day I write the book. 
<laughs> okay, well, um, I, I've got eight hot questions that have come from readers. Did I mention that we like mailbags? Yeah, some of these questions uh, have been answered, but they were good enough that I thought, you know, I bet more than just, you know, Dan from Des Moines would benefit from an answer to this question. Right. Um, yeah, it might be more interesting if we gave first names and locations, but I didn't do that, so then we're not doing that this time. Um, the first question is a compendium of conversations and, and a, a question that we run into often. And uh, I'll, I'll give away the ending to say it's a misconception that people have. So I worded the question like this. I think we talked with someone yesterday, the day before, who had basically this question. Sorry if you're listening to road noise right now. We're on graded pavement. Okay. The question is, I have, say, $200,000 or $250,000 or $300,000 to my name. That is my net worth. Am I rich? Or, and, or, and, and I am... This question has come to us with different ages attached to it because yes. if you're 14, I would say you're significantly ahead of the wealth curve. Yeah, I, I would say you. the answer is probably a simple yes if you're 14. Um, if you're 65 and hoping to retire next year and you don't have some sort of, you know, you worked for the railroad your whole life so your pension is fat and, and loaded up. Yeah. Well, then you're significantly behind the wealth curve. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who come into sort of a sum of money like this and it could be inheritance, it could be we sold a house and this is how much we profited in this crazy real estate market. Uh, and now we feel we feel like Daddy Warbucks with our 200 grand. Yep. In the or or maybe it's in the 401k. I changed jobs and I realize I have $250,000 in the 401k. Um and first of all, that's no small amount of money. So we're not here to say you ain't got crap. You're not here to poo-poo $250,000? I'll never poo-poo $250,000. Okay. Um, however... Maybe if you ate a million, you would poo-poo $250,000. Because yeah, you... I think you absorb the seven. dollars You would digest. You'd, you would receive nutrients out of the three quarters of a mil. There is some danger, though, when you haven't handled big sums of money... And you, especially if you come into it sort of unexpectedly, um, in thinking, wow, I'm loaded now. And I'll tell you, $250,000 can vanish faster than you ever imagined. Let me tell you a tale. Tell a tale. You people, you doubters, I hear you doubting. I hear you kibbutzing, to use a Yiddish word. I hear you kibbutzing back there, kvetching. I have a friend in Cincinnati whose distant relative died and left he and his wife with over $200,000. Just happens to be that's the magic amount that people seem to get left. And oh, they were excited. And oh, they played with that money as, as if it was a luxurious bubble bath. 
and they play with that money and I'm here to tell you that was it couldn't have been five years ago and I'm here to tell you that money is completely gone in Spanish completamente adios that money is gone so it can happen and it's not that that sometimes uh, Mark and I talk about life-changing money and two hundred fifty thousand dollars is not life-changing money and if you're sitting on a nest egg of 250k and you just got married that's a great start and there can be some great things that happen with that but if you are as Mark's saying looking at retirement and you go I think I'm in good shape we got 250k really what, what do you think it takes you to live on a year right we, we talked to some guys very very recently uh, yesterday and we were just talking through they they were awesome fellas awesome who were just saying what does it take to retire we don't even know we haven't thought about this and I said well you can do some math if you want to think about the totally safe withdrawal rate that you could take this much out of your account each year and you could live forever and for the most part us financial planners say this is a safe rate of withdrawal four percent is kind of the historically safe rate of withdrawal so if you have a million dollars four percent per year means you're gonna live on forty thousand dollars now that doesn't sound super luxurious <laughs> for a million dollars right so that means at two hundred fifty thousand dollars you're living on ten thousand dollars a year <laughs> um, so that's just kind of a useful touch point. It doesn't mean you have to, if you want to retire on $100,000 a year, that you have to have $2.5 million. You don't, because you might spend it down a little bit over your life, and there's, there's ways to kind of plan for that. But celebrate if you have come into $200,000, and then think about how to deploy it so that it can grow and serve your family for the long haul. Don't think... Well, we should cut off a portion of this and just spend it because, I mean, there's so much. We've got, you know, uh, don't think that way because those big sums of money go poof yeah. a lot faster than most people who haven't realized that type of gain before might suspect. Uh, another version of this question, I don't know if March is, Mark's going to punch me when I give this answer, but people are so vague when they talk about retirement amounts and the safest answer is, well, that depends on a lot of factors, and people never end up getting an answer to the question. So just to give you an idea, okay, if, if 1.5 million would throw off 60,000 a year, then it's a, it's a good frame of, for most people who are used to a lifestyle, I'm thinking of people who live inside between 50 and 75,000 a year then you need to be you need to be shooting for about two million dollars to retire with and that's if everything's paid off we're assuming that your mortgage you don't have a mortgage when you're retiring I, I think that's a reasonable you can go below that you can go above that but I think that's a reasonable number to look at and so when somebody says I think I feel like I'm rich I have two hundred thousand dollars we want to put our arm around them say we're in we 
encourage you. You've done well. This is great. Praise God for it. And you might not be in as great a shape as you think you are because yeah. that because it sounds impressive, more impressive than it might be. Every day, every day, every day, every day I write the book. Okay, we spent a lot of time on that one. Ready. We're going to go faster. This is going to be super fast. Okay. Someone wrote in and said that I had mentioned in the poverty series the a book that was about the Ten Commandments of, I think the reader said, was it the Ten Commandments of Building Wealth? And I do believe that is the subtitle of this book. Um, the book, I'll say it again, is Thou Shall Prosper. It's written by Rabbi Daniel Lapin, L-A-P-I-N, and it's called Thou Shall Prosper. I strongly recommend it. That answered that one. Every day, every day, every day, every day I write the book. Every day. Number three. Um, my rant on worship recently got some got some traction. People are interested in my rant on worship. Listen, if you want rants or opinions of any kind. That's a whole nother podcast we'll be starting next year. <laughs> Stephen's rants. Stephen's spiritual rants on what's wrong with Christendom. Um, the question was, do you change the words of worship songs when you're standing in church a lot? Because I find that lots of our worship songs are songs about God instead of songs to God. So do you find yourself changing the words as you sing them? I, I, this is a good question, and I actually have a chewy answer for you. The angels... The seraphim and the cherubim around the throne of God, they sing this, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, I believe that that is worship, okay? It qualifies, it makes it to the throne. That's what I want to do with my worship, is get to the throne, now, that is third-person worship. So it's talking about God, He. It's using Him in the third person. You name Him. You're not saying, you, holy are you. They're saying, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are just proclaiming truth around His throne. So if we get really fussy about it needs to be um, second person, we need to say you in all of our, in all of our worship songs then what they're doing around the throne of God right now doesn't qualify. I would say we probably need to change our structures uh, if, that's, uh, if that's where we're drawing lines. So I love uh, Martin Luther's, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. I love to sing that song. It's objectively true. I like saying things that are true and proclaiming them into the heavens. Um, I believe it's Colossians that says that our lives are on display and that that uh, heavenly powers are watching our lives. So we can make these declarations that are true. So I, there's, there's, if I can say there's two things I love to do in worship. One is to declare an objective truth. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And I love to tell him, 
I worship you, Lord, in the beauty of holiness. So I think both of those are appropriate, and I don't think that I do change words much when I'm singing worship songs. Every day, every day, every day, every day I write the book. Every day, Another worship every rant day, question is question number four. And I, this person was very nice in the way they asked the question, but I'll say it in a funnier way. Hey, um, guy with a corn cob stub, stuck up your butt about worship with all of your little persnickety rules. Do you have a playlist of songs that, oh, you approve of? Oh, mister, I evaluate all the worship songs. And I can't stand the Stephen Furtick song that says, I'm never going to forget the way I feel right now. Do you have a playlist that you approve of you know what Dave no I don't have a playlist now I have a huge I do have a huge sheet I I lead worship and I do have a huge sheet of songs that are like Stevie approved these are good worship songs that I use I don't have anything like that on Spotify that I could send to you I don't I don't subscribe to Spotify I'm, I'm waiting for the boos and jeers to come. Well, Nobody we, can believe that. We will subscribe to Spotify when they offer to buy the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah, yeah, a yeah, similar yeah, yeah, amount yeah. that they paid for the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When, when, when we're making Spotify money, yeah, I'll, I'll be spinning off playlists all the time. But no, short answer is no, I don't have that. Sorry. Every day, every day, every day, every day I write the book. Question number five. What Bible should I get my hubby for Father's Day? Now we know that Father's Day has already passed, but it's a good question. I'm going to say it another way. What Bible should be my next Bible purchase? Because you guys like the Bible. Yeah, for me, I just bought a new Bible a few months ago, and I researched, and I actually ordered and returned a couple options that I thought would be good. Oh, you're a good person to ask. Um, and for me, I wanted the translation that was the closest to capturing the original language. That was important to me. So you got the Jewish Bible? No, because that one was one of the least accurate. Oh. Uh, like, I looked at some of those translations, and I do love using, you know, apps to to consult those sources but yeah but uh the bible translation that most people agree is literally the closest is the nasb 1995 translation they really tried to capture word for word um that was a classic NASB, the 95 version. Yes. With woodsy notes. And there's also kind of like a leather, there's kind of a leather aftertaste. There's different methods of translating the Bible. Like the NIV is kind of known for being a thought translation. So they'll look for the whole thought that's being captured in a sentence and try to translate that as, as well as possible. But it comes out very differently sometimes than if you're going, what does this word mean? What does this word mean? And the problem with the NASB 1995 edition, Uh-oh. it is hard to read. The transmission keeps falling out. It's, well, it, it's a 95, but uh, you got to expect uh, some issues. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's really hard to read, so I returned that, and I just stuck with the ESV 
And personally, I don't like a ton of commentary and junk in my Bible because, I don't know, I feel like some of those aren't that great. Once, And it's hard to know before I really start using it if I'm going to get good thoughts and commentary and cross-references or junk. So I just look for as clean of a text as possible with big margins where I can write stuff. So I, I bought one on Amazon that fit the bill that was an ESV, and that's what I did. Great. I'll answer, and I just want to acknowledge the road noise is unbelievable. I'm waiting for when the Lord really likes something we're saying for us to just hit a smooth patch for a while. <laughs> we'll know that's his pr approval. Yeah, because this is absurd. Maybe we'll put some country music in the background. We'll see We'll see how bad this is and we might have to re-record the entire thing because I can't believe how loud this is. But uh, my answer to that question is um, I, I fell in love um, eight-ish years ago with uh, the One New Man Bible. I know I've referred to that before. And the One New Man Bible is a pretty direct translation. Um, sometimes the sometimes the way the sentences read are a little awkward because they want them to be so accurate. Um, what they don't do is, I mean, I remember growing up with the Ryrie Study Bibles where it's like 10, every verse has like 10 references to other verses that might have something to do with that. This Bible doesn't do that. What it does is it takes concepts and topics, and it will make um, it, there's a there's an, a huge, wonderful, nutritious, informative index at the back of the One New Man Bible, um, and the, there will be references in your reading to you know something will be said about the Feast of Trumpets. And then there will be a note at the bottom, C index for Feast of Trumpets. Um, I think it's terrific. So, there's your recommendations. What was your Bible? I, I just said I like the ESV. ESV. Okay. Darling companion, come on and give me understanding. And let me be your champion. I hand to hold your pretty hand in. Darling companion, now you know you'll never be abandoned. Question number six. We're, we're, we're cruising. All right, I'm going to read this as it was written. I'm not even sure what the question is, but here it is. Here it is. We, we, did a, we did a podcast recently on the child tax credit. Remember that one? Yes. Since Here's the question. Since the credit is based on your 2020 return, my understanding, says Dave, is that any dependent who will be on your 2021 tax return but wasn't listed on the 2020 return, the full child tax credit for that child will be received once you file your 2021 tax return. Is that your understanding as well? No, it's not because I understand how this thing works. Um, so... <laughs> I would say... Dave, it wasn't a dumb question. No, it wasn't. This is a good question. A lot of our fruitful listeners might have this question because they're out there doing the Lord's work of cranking out babies. That's right. 
regularly. That's right. They might be listening to the Abrahams. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, <laughs> they're running. They're not doing anything else. Um, like so, our like our newest little kid, Red, Red, Red the baby. There's a boy. A baby boy has just come into our community, and the family wanted to give him a good cowboy name, and they named him Red. That's pretty cool. That is tough. Okay. Um, Babies. So, if you have had a kid since you filed taxes last year, the government doesn't know about that kid yet. So when they go to send those checks we talked about, they're going to be sending them based on the number of kids you had when you last filed your taxes. But now you have one more. So if you would like to get your half of your credit in the form of checks starting on July 15th, you need to go to a portal that the government says they will have available by July 1st, and you need to enter in your, your new details so that you can get paid. Um, same deal if, let's say, your income went way up and you're no longer eligible for as much money. Um, you should adjust that so that you don't have to pay back a bunch of credit if you get that. So um, that's how you're going to do it. There's going to be a portal for you to adjust the number of kids in your family if you've had a kid since last year uh, or make any other changes that would show up in your taxes but haven't been registered yet with your government overlords. Okay. out here in oil country we, we are heading out towards the oil field oil fields and there are derricks on the sides of the roads now and i find we're, we're going over a train right now there's a tunnel wow. a train tunneling under we're us. like hobo cowboys there's a train we just passed a mangled deer on the side of the road it's a it's an it's amazing glimpse at americana here on i-20 okay Question number seven. I have been reading the book Hunter Gatherer Parent. Which Hunt I, Gather Parent. Hunt Gather Parent, which I heard you guys mention on the podcast. Mark m must have mentioned that book because I've never heard of it or forgot that it was ever existed. Okay, I'm wondering what your perspective is on their teaching to not discipline when the child doesn't listen to you. Now, I love the principles they're writing about, but I'm unsure how they line up with the biblical authority that we are to our children. Great. So this book, in a nutshell, is written by a journalist who goes and stays with several people groups where she noticed that the children are remarkably well-behaved later on in life especially. They're very helpful to their parents. And she said, what are, what are these people doing that's creating these family teams that, that function well that isn't happening in the West where our kids can be demanding brats if left to their own devices? Um, and I recommended the book because I do think she has kind of put her finger on some interesting insights, uh, you know, on, well, why do you not see parents in this community ever yelling at their kids? And why is this kid over in this other community so good at just going and helping all their little siblings get ready for school every morning? Um, 
there was some cool stuff in there that we said this is valuable let's let's implement some of this however the author has one child and <laughs> frankly comes across as a real bubblehead for most of the entire book and I don't think she like suddenly evolved into a wise and discerning parent in the process of writing this book so I would take everything in the book with a gigantic grain of salt and I, I liken this book to, to the amazingly, like, dry-rubbed, delicious oh. ribs that oh. we had last night. Oh. Say more. Go well, on. Finish, finish the parallel. Threw, when they threw that half rack of ribs onto my tray, they charged me a lot of money because they charged by weight. Uh-huh. And I thought, I'm only going to be eating a very small amount of the weight the that weight you're charging is. me for there because most of it is bones and gristle and things <laughs> even though they were very delicious and tender yes the good part was really good okay but i still had a lot of rib material okay. on my on my dish when i was done with the meal good for you that's how i would view this book enjoy the good stuff but exactly what you put your finger on which he's like just don't ever punish kid that's stupid and don't yeah don't do it yeah yeah, so this, uh, so take the off, take the research for what it's worth. Great, enjoy that research, that delicious dry rub research. And this person sounds to be lost, and so uh, she she's not an old wise person. Um, I I do believe the person that wrote this this email was a woman. So Titus too. No, oh, you don't think so. Well, I think this was. Uh... Uh, maybe even an actual Dave. Ha! Well, Dave, I would say the Bible tells you to to uh, go find wise men and sit under them. And uh, wise Christian men uh, will not tell you to uh, let your children go if they, quote, don't listen to you. So I'd, I'd kind of like to sit down on that question. Um, just going to throw out a couple of verses for you, Dave. Proverbs 1.8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. So, so the ability to listen really matters. It, that verse is repeated three chapters later in, in verse 1 of chapter 4. This is, this is the wisdom book of Proverbs. And, and it said, Listen to your, son, to your father's voice. Listen to his instruction. Isaiah 55, 3, the Lord says, Incline your ear to me. Listen and live. We all remember Jesus saying this in Matthew 7, 24. Whoever hears my words and does them will be likened to the wise man who built his house on the rock. So your children cannot obey. The possibility does not exist that they would obey if they don't have the skill of listening. So developing listening in your children is a very important skill. I always ask, is the way that they react to God in this same, in, on this same issue, is it important? Well, then it's important then that they would act that way toward me. Because the way that they act toward their parents is their training ground for acting towards God, whom they can't see. So... Is it important that they learn how to listen to my voice? I don't know. Do you think it's important that they learn how to listen to God's voice? Yes. Okay. Do you think it's important that they obey you? I don't know. Do you think it's important that they obey God? 
I always tell my children, I want you to pay very close attention to my words. Listen to what I say and wonder what I mean exactly by them. Why do you think I do that, Dave? It's because I want them to do that with God's words. I want them to take his words very seriously, to sit around and ponder what did he mean with these words. We want to take his words very seriously. We're going to have to train that in your children. So, uh, yes, listening is really important. And uh, I just this last week, um, I remember I had an incident with one of my youngsters, and the whole issue was them not hearing me. And there was discipline given, um, and I, maybe some big old tears um, around, well, I didn't hear you. And I'm trying to train my children. When my voice happens in a room where the competition might be a television and a pad and other children talking and, and a dog barking, my children need to learn to tune the frequency into my voice, that my voice, I said it this way, this might sound vainglorious to you, but remember I'm trying to train children for the Lord. My sentence was, when I'm speaking to you, there's nothing more important on earth than what I'm saying to you. So you listen very intently and you tune everything else out so that you will listen to me. And it will go well with you, according to Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. All right, that's my rant on that. Last question. Question number eight. I find that when our children are disobedient, it puts a huge strain on our marriage. Should I focus more on the marriage or on the kids when both need attention? Really good question from a family leader there, which is, I notice when my kids are disobedient, we're having trouble with kids, which if you have kids, you're gonna have trouble with kids. And I realize that puts a strain on my marriage. I'm assuming this is a pretty new parent. Uh, maybe not. They could also be a hardcore <laughs> at wit's, veteran. At wit's end? Yeah. Maybe. I mean, we haven't hit 16-year-old girls yet, but I bet that's going to be, there's <laughs> going to be some bumps in that road. Yes. And I'm noticing that when my kids are disobedient, it puts a strain on my marriage. So when both are feel like they're kind of in crisis mode, which one should get my attention? Well, I would say that your marriage is the more important of those relationships, okay? So, unfortunately, what that, what that doesn't mean is that I can then give all of my attention to my marriage because it's the most important. Your marriage is the most foundational thing, but we've got to clear out the pathway for that thing to happen. If you're going to go camping, You've got to find a flat place where there's no sticks sticking out of the ground to put your tent down. So you might have to do some leveling because that's the most important thing is getting that tent down because you know that when the sun goes down, you're kind of out of time for prep. So you got to clear the area so that your marriage can be in the fore. So I would say you've got to do some, lay down some ground fire with the kids and you should probably lock that thing down which probably means 
either a hard conversation or the reintroduction of some stern discipline so that there's you reestablish the hierarchy of authority in a home. Probably going to be some tears there. I don't know if you don't like dif- difficult conversations. If you don't like difficult conversations, you should just repent for that. Because to be a Christian, you're going to have to be comfortable with difficult conversations. Both with yourself, with your Heavenly Father, with one another, as we talked about on a recent podcast. When we talked about elders in, in um, conflict, um, you're going to have to be comfortable with uncomfortable conversations with your spouse and with your children. So you might have to reestablish some authority there. And the point isn't that I'm going to spend all my time with my kids. The point is I want my kids locked down and in order so that I can give my best energy towards my marriage, which is the most foundational relationship in the home after particularly the father's relationship with God. That thing's got to be locked down then we got to have relationship with a mom and dad locked down. So I hope that's not too convoluted of an answer. I, I would address the children because they got to be dealt with to make room to, to get problems ironed out in the marriage. Any thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I think that I agree with what you said, that the foundational you. piece is you and your wife. I, I would say... You don't have to solve all the kid problems, though. And I think that's what you're saying, which is there might be crisis, like utter crisis that has to be solved. Sure. Uh, that's really different than we still have one that's talking back and being disrespectful. Um, that does not have to be fixed Yeah. before you can step out and kind of, you know... True. One of my podcast heroes is Jocko Willink. Yeah. And he talks about in battle when you're a Navy SEAL. Say it like he would say it. You gotta detach if you're gonna engage the enemy. Whoa. So, um, he talks about detaching, though, because people tunnel, we talked about that even in poverty, in a recent episode about poverty, that you can tunnel in on the problem, and then you make decisions that might actually alleviate the immediate problem, but screw up everything else in your life. And I think that can happen with parenting really easily. That you say, well, we've got this one kid that's really struggling in this area, and we're going to do everything we have to to address that thing. And then you you torch your marriage because that's all you were thinking about, and you didn't realize we hate the life we've created. To, and right. we've, we've screwed up other kid relationships because we're <laughs> only focusing on this one problem. Um and, and that's a real thing. You have to be on the same team as your spouse. I think with little kids, we talk about that a lot. Um, you know, my wife and I had some, we had to learn to not contradict each other in the moment when there was a moment of discipline going right. on. And sometimes we didn't agree with what was happening. Yeah. And when we were new parents, the first I guess when we were new parents but had kids old enough to to understand what was happening, it was a pretty common mistake that I or she would start doing some correction and the other one would go, no, 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 that's not what I want to do. And it's just, it's a disaster. So we had to kind of learn to get on the same page on some of those parenting things. 
you're not going to get on the same page with somebody if you're kind of thinking, I'm pissed off at them for 10 things right now Yeah. that I might like to use this as a moment to show that I'm smarter than them. <laughs> um, so I do think it's really important to get on the same page. You just have to suss out, is the stress that's causing difficulty in my marriage because we are not on the same page when it comes to parenting and we just need to deal with that? Is it because we have legitimate challenges that are putting us in crisis mode as parents? Um, or is it because we are on the same page about a parenting technique that is really bad and needs to be completely uprooted and swapped out for something that works? Uh, those are all possibilities and um, I, th I think that's hard work, but I think it's, it's definitely worth doing. Wow, you were full of thoughts on that. Okay, well, thanks for the questions, everybody. We like, we like the mailbag. So um, thanks for thanks for writing in. As we're, um, boy, I hope this works out. I hope I was didn't just waste forty five minutes of my life on tape that we can't use. Well, I, I hope you can hear us. If you did, then you might have saved your life because I was getting pretty sleepy. And okay, I'm not sleepy when I'm podcasting. Yeah, that's so true. Okay, I, well, I thought it was a good way to to use some of our road trip. I feel very confident that questions like five through the end. We were on smooth road. Yeah. Um, so you a, feel great about there's it. There's a possibility that Dave won't get his question answered, though. Yeah, okay. Well, we uh, we can see a long ways right now. There's an old dusty windmill that we're passing by. We can see a long way. I was thinking of a little Texas-y factoid for you as I just passed a sign that said, it's another 300 miles to El Paso. I feel like we're in West Texas, but it's another 300 miles to El Paso. Listen to this story. Me and my old friend Jeff, we were once driving. He went to school at uh, USC, which is in Los Angeles. And he was moving back home from grad school back to Houston, where we're from. And I was making the drive with him. Listen to this, sports fans. When we arrived in El Paso, Texas, we were halfway home between Los Angeles and Houston. El Paso was halfway. You wouldn't think that looking at your, uh, I don't know, country map of the United States, but it's true. From a mileage standpoint, it's true. That's how big this wonderful state of Texas is. So from the interstate highways of Texas, we bless you uh, Abrahamic leaders, you stud balls. Keep after it. Till next time, Hong Kong. I'm Mark Perrin. I'm Stephen Manuel for Abraham's Wallet. <laughs> <laughs>